Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunridge Teaching Podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means that we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We are gathering indoors right now, socially distanced and masked for now. We'd love to have you drop in. Just check our website, sunridgechurch.org, for the latest details on times and options. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Uh, So good. You know, uh, please have a seat. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and... Being back in the building for the last three Sundays, each Sunday is like a reunion for me. I'm seeing faces, coach, and um, other folks that I haven't seen you in so long. And some of you are like, yeah, it was really nice not to have to look at you that much. We could just turn you on and listen and not have to look at you. But um, it's such a pleasure uh, to be with you. And I want to say hello to everybody that's still watching online. We're so grateful that you take a few moments by your swimming pool today and uh, listen to the message and uh, worship with us. And of course, everybody that's outside right now, big shout out to you uh, for coming and watching there as well. You know, if um, this last year or so has taught us anything, um, it was to me, it was some things that I felt kind of inside and um, and the pandemic has kind of confirmed it, that there are some chinks in the armor of the church today, of the Christian community. And one of them we learned is how how much we need each other, right? And we have lost touch with one another. And another one is, you know, this is just the world according to Brit. I think that it taught us that we have a real discipleship crisis in the church today, and we have got to refocus our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ, not on everything else that's going in the world, but to see that through the lens of the Jesus way. And so we've been talking a lot about this retreat that's coming up. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun if you've ever gone to church camp or you've gone to a weekend retreat. Cindy and I have done family camps and marriage camps and firefighter camps. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned to you before, but I used to be a firefighter, and I used to go to church camps that were firefighter weekends. The police had one too, but it wasn't nearly as fun. Um, but anyway, um, now that send those emails, just keep them coming. Um, you know, they there was always like a mixture of things that happened. It's like so much fun to be with people of like mind in a concentrated way, and then. Um, There's a lot of fun to be had, but really, the thing that sticks with you is the spiritual element. And I can tell you that the staff, because I've been in these meetings where we're collaborating together, our evening sessions are going to be really, really powerful. And they, you know, they're going to ground you, re-ground you, perhaps, in the way of Jesus. And they're going to kick off what we're going to do this summer in following practices that help us to refocus on our relationship with Jesus. So 
If the fun doesn't excite you, that's fine. If, if you feel fine, you know enough people and you're connected to Christians and you, know, you got your fellowship down, good for you. But I'm telling you, we could all benefit from the spiritual element of this. And so as your pastor, as one of the pastors here, I just want to say to you, I want you here. I would not do that unless I really meant it. So you have a lot of options on Memorial Weekend, and I just encourage you to be a part of these evening sessions, if nothing else, because I think it really is going to refocus us as individuals and as a church, as a people, on the way of Jesus. And so um, please consider that, pray about it, and I, I promise you to be well worth your time. Um, you know, scientists tell us that a black hole is not just something where all the information goes and never comes out. Uh, in astronomy, a black hole is a spot in space where the gravity is so strong that everything is pulled into it. They say that in some cases, a black hole could hold the, the mass of a million suns. And so these black holes in space are the densest matter known to science. Such is the word that we're going to talk about today. Chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. Now you'd be tempted to say chesed or chesed, but really you got to say it like you have a hair stuck in the back of your throat. This is the, the true way to say it. So let's, let's say it one more time. Chesed. Now, every time I say it, I'm going to try and say it like that, but I'm going to forget and just say said too, because I don't speak Hebrew. Uh, in fact, I just, a self, little self-disclosure here, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I know that that might come as a real surprise to many of you, um, but, um, but I've been greatly influenced by some who are. And in fact, I've put on the back of your note sheet a couple of resources that will allow you to explore this word more fully. Chesed is one of the densest words in the Old Testament, and it is probably the most important word in the book of Ruth, which we have been studying. Uh, it contains the essence of the gospel. It describes the character of God, and like, like a million suns being pulled into its center, all the characteristics of God are pulled into this one word. And, it's and it is the gravitational pull of the story of Ruth. The problem with this word, chesed, you want to say it again? Chesed. You're getting better at it, huh? Uh, it doesn't have an equivalent word in English. So like sometimes when you're translating the Bible, um, you have, you know, it's like man or dog or cow. That's, that's a really easy translation. But this word doesn't have any single easy Translation, so like when you read your Bible, uh, you know, your Old Testament, you're going to see it translated a lot of different ways. It, could, it might be kindness or mercy, loving kindness, loyal, steadfast, unfailing love, and sometimes just plain old love. But I prefer, and this is in your notes, just from the people that I sit under and study, that chesed equals loyal love, loyal love. And it shows up three times in the book of Ruth, but the concept of chesed runs through the entire story of Ruth. And as we talked about at the beginning of this series, it is the energy, 
It is a wave that pushes through the entire story. Now, sometimes the Hebrew writers, they do something that we as Westerners uh, would find really annoying. They repeat a word over and over again. And, uh, but we, we like variety in our words. That's why I rely so much on a thesaurus. Uh, you know, like I, I have this idea, I get stuck on this word, and I think, man, i got to say it a different way, otherwise I'm going to be saying the same word over and over again. And that would bug you to, to no end. Uh, when, when I was a firefighter, um, I, we used to have to do recurring medical training. And the, the medical trainer for the fire department had a lot of these words that he would repeat over and over again. And, and it was so um, obvious and so annoying that the firemen, without, we would start to put little check marks on our note sheets of how many times he said these words. And one of them was, um, K. Okay. You say, okay, a lot, and like in, in a session, like a half a day session, he would say it 250 times, I know, because I counted. And uh, he, had a, he had another one, he used to say, that type number. And like, I know that I have these too. Some of you have sent me emails, so just save your emails. I know I say, okay, a lot. I say, right, and I say, you know, and sometimes I say, uh. So I, I got all those. But I'm not going to stop doing it because I know it annoys you. And that's, that's, that's good for your, your spiritual training. Um, but opposite to us, when Hebrew writers do that, they, they do it for a purpose. It is to get the point across. They use this same word over and over again. And the author of Ruth uses this technique. Not only is chesed repeated three times in four chapters, but the concept is running throughout the entire story, which is why I'm going to totally geek out today on you guys. My inner nerd is going to come out. It's in there. It's deep in there. It's covered up by all this handsome, you know, like outgoing person, but somewhere deep in it. I'm kidding, right? Um, well, kind of, but... Um, uh, you know, it, it runs through this entire story. And so I just want to spend a few moments, actually this whole message, um, we're going to trace this word, like I said, through the Old Testament. We're going to look at its different, like different facets of it, and then we're going to circle back around to Ruth. Does that sound like a plan where it falls into? You guys okay with that? Okay, so the first few of the points in your note sheet go really quickly, and then we kind of slow down near the end, and then we kind of speed up, okay? So uh, I'm a fanboy of Tim Mackey from The Bible Project. Anybody fans of The Bible Project? You've seen their videos? Well, what you might not know if you've seen their videos is behind the scenes, there's an entire podcast series that goes with those videos that you see. So... Um, like if you see a four-minute video on something by Bible Project, that's underneath that might be eight to 15 different hour-long podcasts where they talk about this. And in, uh, in one of their episodes on this specific word, this is what uh, Tim Mackey says about chesed. Chesed is a kind of love that, that someone demonstrates when they're keeping a promise. And when the, des the desire to be loyal to their promise motivates them to go above and beyond and be super generous more than what you would expect. That's a great opening thought to this word that is profoundly impacting the story of Ruth. 
Chesed is used 246 times in your Old Testament. And about three quarters of the time when it's used, it's describing God's loyal love toward people. And as we know, that's often undeserving by human beings. Chesed refers to tangible demonstrations of loyalty in a relationship. So when we use this word that I'm translating to loyal love, um, it's not just like this goose pimply feeling that we have when we love somebody deeply. Um, although it can include that. It can be part of it. It can be like a tug at your heart. But it really, like you get down to the full understanding of it when it's like observable, when it's a tangible expression. Because of that, chesed assumes that something tests the loyalty in that relationship, but that the commitment endures in spite of the challenges that come. So you know that we can all talk about loyal love, right? We can talk about this tangible expression of committing ourselves to somebody, but in the end, it's really demonstrated when that loyalty is tested in some way. An example from Psalm, in, Psalm, in Psalms 136, um, you've, you've heard this phrase before about the steadfast love of God. And in Psalm 136, the psalmist says that the steadfast love endure, of God endures forever. That's, that's chesed. It is that, that God's love sticks with us through our disloyalty, our sins, both public and hidden, our lack of compassion or lack of passion even for God. His loyalty, let's be honest, like sometimes is not returned by us toward God, Right? We all have betrayed God in some way or another in our past, and yet God's chesed toward us endures forever. Chesed is the difference between saying the words, I love you, and acting in honor of your commitment to another person by serving them. Again, it's like these are just looking at it from different facets. It's, it's not just talk. Having, it, it's, it's having made this commitment in some way that eventually something happens, tests that relationship, or it just becomes difficult, and that commitment is tested. And in that moment, we either demonstrate chesed or we don't. Now we're going to start to slow down a little bit on some of these points. Chesed is one of the most common words used to describe God by the psalmists. And you know that psalms is kind of like the Hebrew prayer book. And as we've talked about in the past, a young Hebrew male would have memorized literally the entire book of psalms by the time they were like in upper elementary school. And so these, these prayers that we have in psalms, they are written by the most cherished leaders and people in Israel's history and in Psalms alone, chesed is used 127 times. Remember that 
Hebrew repeated philosophy. This is, this is a word that the most revered people in Israel's history used to describe God over and over and over again. In Psalm 103, verse 11, the psalmist says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love, or chesed, for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When you're in... Uh, Children's church, so those of you that grew up in school or in children's, in church, do you remember Deep and Wide? Remember that song? Deep and Wide, Deep and Wide. Okay, that's, thank you. Keep it going. Let's come on now. I knew, can we sing that one next week, Jed? Okay. So um, that's the concept here. And here the psalmist is ex- like talking about the love of God, this loyal love, chesed, in this way that. He takes our sins and he removes them for us in an unimaginable way. They're as far away as the east is from the west. So his love is deeper and wider than we can ever fathom. And, and he takes our sins, our betrayals, big and small, and he removes them so far from us we can't even wrap our heads around as far as the east is from the west. And what prompts God to do that is his loyal love to us, his chesed. And so used 127 times in Psalms, these are, these are uh, some, you know, the writers of Psalms, it's like their biography of God. So you know what a biography is? That's when somebody writes a story or you know, the life story about another person. But chesed is also a word that God uses to describe himself. So it's not just biographical by psalmist, but God uses this word to describe himself, which this is like God writing his autobiography. And he did do that. When Moses meets with God and he's told to chisel out the new tablets that he had smashed, that contain the, the uh, commandments, in that interaction with Moses, God describes himself. And it's the first time, the first mention, the first time in your whole Bible that God says, this is who I am. Here's my autobiography. It's in Exodus 34, 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in chesed, and faithfulness, maintaining chesed to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So when God is face-to-face with Moses and he's saying, I want to tell you who I am, twice he says, I can be described by chesed. And he says, that's not just a description of me, I'm abounding in this loyal love, and I maintain that loyal love. But it isn't just a biography of God. It isn't just um, God's autobiography. Hesed is expressed by God to people as well, not just in his character, but he expresses this to people. And I'm going to show you one story from your Old Testament. It's when Moses 
is appealing to God on the basis of Kesed, uh, because despite God's deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, they come to the edge of the promised land. You, some of you are very familiar with this story, and they hesitate. They're fearful. They, with everything that God has done for them, they don't know if he's going to come through this time. Can you relate? Can you relate? I can. And, you know, at this point, God's kind of fed up with them, with their wishy-washy ways. And even though he's delivered them over and over and over again, they keep doubting him. And so he is contemplating with Moses bringing his wrath upon them for this kind of disloyalty back to him. And in Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I'm confident, 100% confident, that God says that to the angels about me in heaven. And then right after me, he's talking about you. Let's just be clear on that. But I'm often on his radar, I would imagine. And so what does Moses do in this situation? Well, he basically says, Lord, you you have to consider your reputation here as the God of Israel. And if you do that right now, what are the Egyptians going to think after you've done all this and then you bring your wrath on them? And so in Numbers 14, 17, he says, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. He's reminding God of what he said about himself in the past, which is the sign of a great leader. Verse 18, remember you said, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in chesed and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes children for the sins of their parents, the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great chesed, or love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So like Moses, like as the leader of the people, he, st- he puts himself between God and people as as the representative of both. And he reminds God in this story of who he is, of the attributes that he told Moses about himself in another interaction. He says, God, I know that you're just. You don't acquit the guilty. But remember you are the God of chesed. And, you know, this is just one instance from all the stories in the Bible where we see that God's loyal love is not based on our performance or how wonderful we are. It's based on his faithfulness. God's love to us is not based on our deserving uh, factor on any day. His love is based on who he is. And so, when God commits to that, when God commits to having chesed for people, he's basically willingly putting himself in a position where he's going to have to demonstrate that loyal love because he's not dealing with perfect beings. He's dealing with human beings. Chesed can also be expressed by people to each other. This is the character of God 
It is what God demonstrates to people. But then those of us who desire to reflect his image, we can show chesed to one another. And in the Old Testament, there's so many examples of this. But I want to point out two. The first one is of Joseph. You might be familiar with him. Um, and if you know a little bit of the story, you know that he is separated from his family by the treachery of his own brothers. He's sold into slavery. And as you go through the story, like much later, their families reunited. And Joseph extends tremendous forgiveness. He's in Egypt now, and he's built a life there as the second in command to the Pharaoh. And, you know, he's reunited with his family, and he forgives his brothers. So he brings them to Egypt, and they're, they're living there because there's a famine in their homeland. So there's complete reconciliation. But during that time, Jacob, Joseph's father, is dying. And so he has one request from his son Joseph on his deathbed. And here it is in Genesis 47, verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel, that is Jacob, to die, he called for his son Joseph and he said to him, If I found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh, this is a way of committing, and promise that you will show me chesed and faithfulness. And here's his request. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. That's very important to Jacob to go back to his land and be buried there. And here's what Joseph says to him. I will do as you say. I will do it. This is him and his father, his father on his deathbed. And Joseph makes a commitment and, you know, just transport yourself back. Joseph is a very busy man. He's like the vice president in that situation. And this is going to be a great inconvenience for him. And his father's never going to be able to repay him for this kindness. And yet his promise is good. And in doing this, in keeping this commitment, Joseph is showing chesed to his father. And he does it. Another story is David, who shows chesed to the family of Jonathan. And again, if, if you're not familiar with this, but like if you read the story of, of uh, David, you know that early in his life, he is best friends with a man named Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul. And there's great conflict between David and Saul, Jonathan's father. Saul is threatened by David. People, uh, crowds are gathering. They see David as the next king. And so, you know, Saul sees him as a threat. And yet Jonathan is stuck in this weird position where he has love for his friend, David, but his dad is the king and often is trying to take the life of his best friend. So he's, he's in this terrific conflict, tension point. And I think at one point, Jonathan can kind of see the writing on the wall that David is going to one day be king. And he asks David, 
And when that happens, that he would show loyalty, loyal love, or chesed, to his family. And in 1 Samuel 20, verse 13, he says, May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness, as chesed, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness, chesed, from my family. So he's asking it for himself when there's this potential overthrow. But then he's also saying, long, even after I die, if you're still living, would you continue to show that to my family? That's a huge, huge ask. And later, Jonathan dies in battle. David is made king. And almost immediately, he starts looking for Jonathan's descendants who would be in hiding now, fearing for their lives. Because it's not good to be a family member of the previous king when there's a new king. There's no pride in that. You have to hide out because you're a threat to this new king. But John, uh, David is looking to keep his vow that he made. And in 2 Samuel 9, 1, David asks of his advisors, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness or chesed for Jonathan's sake. And a servant uh, from Saul's household knows the location of one of Jonathan's sons. His name is Mephibosheth. You want to say that together? Mephibosheth. Just call him Phibs. And we know from the Bible account in the Old Testament that he was handicapped. So he's super vulnerable. He probably can't even walk. Is the indication. And then in verse 6 of 2 Samuel 9, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he, he finds him, and he, he bows down to pay him honor, and David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Good thing to say to the new king. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Which he's, he's afraid for obvious reasons. For I will surely show you chesed. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. This is huge. This um, David is the king. He's described as a man after God's own heart. Years after the death of his friend, he's pursuing looking for family that he can show kindness to, which is totally unconventional. It is exactly the opposite of what any king would do. And if you read your Old Testament, you read the stories of the kings, you see that this is not normal. Usually they're looking for them to take them out. It's a total opposite. And when this happens, this would be jaw-dropping to the culture at that time. So that's Chesed, throughout your Old Testament, just touched on it. It's descriptive of God. It is the character of God that he shows to human beings. And for those who experience chesed, this loyal love, we can reflect it back to one another, which brings us full circle to Ruth. And here's chesed, and Ruth, with that background, the first appearance is in verse 
or chapter 1, verse 8, and it's a prayer. It's a prayer um, that Naomi prays out loud as she is leaving Moab. You haven't forgotten the story yet, right? She's relocated there. Her sons have married two women, Ruth and Orpah, and now they're, now they're going to move back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, and Naomi's trying to convince them to stay in their, in their land because it's the best thing for him. Their husbands are dead. Her sons are dead. Naomi's husband is dead, and she can offer them nothing. And so in Ruth 1.8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home, and here's her prayer. And it's, it's almost like a farewell that people would say at this time. May the Lord show you chesed, kindness, as you have shown chesed to your dead husbands and to me. So in this time, we've talked about this, how vulnerable women are, widows are, without a man, without sons, they're nothing. And so Naomi is older, and she's in this terribly vulnerable position, and yet she has two people with her that she can lean on, Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, and yet she wants them to return to their land. What kind of courage would that take? You know, they, um, they say that like, if someone is drowning, one of the worst things you could do is swim up to them and try to save them because they're so panicky that they will drown you in the process of trying to save themselves. It's just a human instinct. And so I picture Naomi kind of feeling that way. If you've ever just felt totally desperate, how, what does it take for her to voice this kind of concern and loyal love for these two women that really probably her survival would depend upon? She says, I want you to stay here. In her selfless love, she's telling them, Go back home, and it's your only chance to recover. And then Ruth, even though the word isn't used, she returns chesed to Naomi. In verse 16, Ruth replied, you, many of you know this famous section from Ruth. Um, she says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. I mean, what kind of intensity is in this conversation where Naomi is saying, you should stay? And then Ruth is saying, I'm not staying. I'm sticking with you. When she does that, she's erasing any chance, as far as she knows, to ever remarry. She's connecting herself to somebody who is going to be a weight in her life if you just kind of measure it out like that. She is signing up for poverty, for widowhood, the rest 
of her days in a patriarchal society without a man in her life. And as the story unfolds, we, as we've been following through the story of Ruth, we're seeing that she truly makes good on this promise, doesn't she? Uh, she risks her own life da- uh, daily. Like just last week, Danny taught about this, how she would go into the fields to glean. She would go out and get food, which was kind of the welfare system of that day, which is hard, backbreaking work in the hot sun. But it was much more than that. It was super dangerous to be an immigrant woman in a foreign land around a bunch of farm workers in a society that doesn't really value women. She's exposing herself to potential abuse or rape. And that's what, as Danny talked about, like when Boaz set up these bounds, he protected her in that moment. It was so unusual, but she was, that's what she was stepping into. And surely she knows that when she makes that commitment for her or to, to Naomi. So you have Naomi praying this genuine prayer of chesed for Ruth, and then you have Ruth being moved by that, and then in return demonstrating it back to Naomi. The second time Naomi, uh, you see it appear, Naomi uses the word to describe God. And this is super interesting because it's when Ruth brings her gleanings home. And Danny, again, talked about this last week with the help of Boaz, Ruth uh, does really well. She's protected, and he, he makes sure that she gets more than enough grain. And she brings it back, and Naomi declares in chapter 2, verse 20 of Ruth, about God, he has not stopped showing us chesed to the living and the dead. And if you remember, Naomi at this point has been totally destroyed. Remember when she returned to her hometown and her friends gathered to welcome her. They don't even recognize her. The years have been hard on her. And she describes herself as being empty, left without. And she says that God has afflicted me. She blames God in that moment. But what I want you to see that when when Ruth steps in, and shows this chesed, she risks herself, and she shows this loyal love to Naomi, Naomi begins to be revived. And Danny just touched on that last week because she, she's kind of taken back by what God is doing through a person in her life, Ruth. And so Naomi changes her perspective of God because a person demonstrated Chesed. You have Ruth who is reflecting the character of God to Naomi, and that is helping Naomi see God through different eyes. That's powerful. You know, Jesus said that we're to let our light shine, right? And that we are the salt and light of the world. And all that is simply saying is that we reflect God's character to the people around us. 
And when we do that, what does Jesus say happens? When we shine our light, what happens? God is glorified. So that is this in action in a story in the Old Testament. The last uh, appearance of chesed is in chapter 3, verse 10, and it's people showing chesed to others. And next week, we're going to see how Boaz, a um, little spoiler alert here, if, you haven't, if you're not familiar with the story of Ruth at all, Ruth is going to propose, in a sense, to Boaz. So you got to be back here next Sunday on Mother's Day because that's going to be all, it's going to be all goose pimply. It's kind of like, kind of exciting too, this part. So here's, here's what Boaz says to Ruth in this interaction. He says, this chesed is greater than that which you showed earlier. So, and then we're going to see Boaz reflect Hased as we go through the story as well. Um, all that to say that this is a really powerful word. There's so much packed into it. It is a game changer in the, in the lives of the people of this story, this little four-chapter story that we're reading. So the reason why it's so powerful is, you know, you're a human being. What, what does it mean to you? How does it affect you if someone says, I will stand with you? I will stand with you no matter what it costs me. And they're going to get no gain out of it. They get nothing. But they say, I'm going to be with you side by side. To have someone say and mean it that I'm sticking with you no matter what. Even if you're different. Even if you're broken. Even if you're wrong. You see, Ruth could have cut and run and no one would have blamed her. It would have been the smart thing to do but she sticks. And you know, the Bible often uses surprise in its narratives, and this this is one, because you have chesed in a life-altering, impactful way being lived out by someone who has no power. Um, She has no privileged influence. She has no platform. She has no resources, but the thing she brings to the game, to the life of the people around her, is this one thing, chesed, loyal love. Naomi prays it upon Ruth. Ruth lives it out to Naomi. Ruth shows it to Boaz, and Boaz eventually shows chesed to Ruth and Naomi's family. And that is the gravitational pull of this book. It is what everything is grounded in. And the lens through which we understand the story. And it's the fact that it comes from this person that is so unlikely to come from that makes the story so compelling to its audience at that time. And of course to us. I mean, you get it. 
We picture life changers being people of prominence or people with great influence or resources. And this is just a person that if they were living among us, if we just went back to that day, we wouldn't even know who Ruth is. She would, we wouldn't even pay attention to her. And yet she's living such a powerful life. And the people, lives that are around her. Why does this story grab us so much? Well, if you're a Christian, you should be seeing it, right? You should see this already. Um, this is the gospel, isn't it? We have a poor immigrant woman who shows us how to do it. A, a lot like the Good Samaritan story, right? It's like it comes from an unlikely spot. She, Ruth, shows us the gospel in real life. She shows us how to live like Jesus. And all of us, no matter if we're people of importance or people that are just basically invisible, um, all of us have the opportunities to do this if we name the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And, you know, um, the... The ultimate example of Kassed is Jesus, right? Ruth's story is really telling the story of the gospel long before Jesus comes to earth. And it, it tells us a story of God's desire to redeem human beings. And I can't help but think that it's told in, in this way so that it shakes us up. That's like, if we just told a story like, like typical, you know, the hero, you could see him from the beginning, but the surprise here is that this is a hero that you would never have expected. And I, I think that's meant to kind of like set us back on our heels. I know that, you know, like in this audience, there's probably some people here that like, you're, you're not a Christian, you know, you, for some reason you came to church, maybe your friend invited you, or maybe you're just... You know, you're searching. I don't know, but like, I know that there's people here. You, you, you're not a person of faith. And, and, I, and I can say that like, I've been in ministry, either full-time or bivocational or, or as a volunteer, since 1979. And in every era that I've been a part of, there's always like, you're always trying to undo the misconception and culture of what it means to be a Christian. There's always a voice. There's always a perspective in the world that like, people say, well, that's a Christian. I don't want to be a part of that. And what I want you to see is this is exposing the gospel in a fresh new way that is saying that God is not looking for people that are deserving of his love. His love is given because that's who he is. That is his character, and his love is loyal. And for those of us who have accepted that in, in some way and have decided this is the way, this is my God, this is the way I want to live, um, this is how the world knows who God is when we show loyal love to those around us, that we're salt, 
that we're light in the world because we're reflecting God's image. This is who God is. This is what our lives should look at. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're an immigrant or you're a great patriot. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown or you're blue. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're rich. Nobody knows you or everywhere you go, you know, you're like the best known person in town and loved. It's like each one of us has a sphere that God has given us and we can show chesed. It's the story of Ruth and it's our story. It's the story of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.